Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. You are the champion of heaven. What, what, a, what a right way to describe you. And because we are in you, we can be brave. We don't have courage because we're courageous. We have courage and we are brave because we are in Christ. And you, Lord God, have provided all that is necessary. Your love and your providential care is all that is needed for us to walk through life through any any challenge, Lord God. I know there are some, many of us today, we don't feel brave, but Lord, we are in you. And so may we now look at your word and draw strength. Lord, I pray now that, that the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing unto you, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You would go ahead and be seated. Last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrated the fact that we have this champion of heaven who has overcome our sin, has defeated death, and because of his power, we now have hope. And this hope is eternal. This hope is living. And we here at Living Hope, we are taking time this year to think through what's next. We know what's coming. The rapture is coming. Jesus Christ is going to return, and he is going to take our body, and we are going to be resurrected with him, and we will be with the Lord forever. Amen? And so we can be encouraged by that. And as we now get back into 1 Thessalonians, these are the truths that we're about to dig out. These are the things that we're going to see that God's Word saying to us. We, we have been given this, this wonderful grace. And this grace gives us hope that we can live in. And as we live hopeful, we choose to be helpful. We're joining God in what He is doing in the world. But it requires our bodies. Our bodies are important. They're, they're so important that God's going to raise them up. And what we do with them now is crucial. It's very important that we understand what our bodies are. First of all, we need to understand our bodies. Your body is a tool of worship. you realize that? It's a tool of worship. Look what uh, the, the Word of God says in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are to present our bodies as living sacrifices that we give to God to be used to bring glory to His name. Your body is a tool of worship. And if you're a believer, if you are a believer, you are the dwelling place of divinity. You are the dwelling place of the divine. God is in you. Look what this says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are the dwelling of God. Where are you taking Him? What are you connecting with Him? Do you not understand? Do we not know our bodies are our tools of worship? We are the dwelling place of God, and we are not our own. We belong to God. Again, back to 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 20. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We have been, we have been purchased by the, the blood of Jesus. And our bodies now are free to do what God created us to do, to be what God created us to be. Temples of the Holy Spirit, tools of worship, living under the authority of the Almighty, gladly, free, free in Him. And, and what we're going to see in our text today is God's plan for all of this. God's plan is, is that we be free, and we need to have a plan. And there's some things that we need to start planning towards beginning today so that we can enjoy the blessings that God has for us. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now 
to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're turning the corner. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. We're now going in another direction with this, with this great book. And so let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. And Tanner Brown is going to come read our scripture for us. He's one of our young people here at Living Hope. We're excited to have him with us today. So Tanner, read for us. We're going to be in 12 verses today. So Tanner, go ahead and read for us verses 1 through 12 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us how you ought to walk in the face of God, just as you are doing, that you do so warmly. For you know when instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body, and in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards me. Disregard is not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands when instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. The Word of God. Thank you, Tanner. Well done. If you would go ahead and be seated. You know, understand, without a plan, not much happens. Plans produce intentionality, and intentionality is the foundation of invention and accomplishment. I like what Michael Hyatt said in, in, his, recent, in his recent book, In Life, You Often Get What You Expect. So let me ask you, what do you expect of yourself? What are your expectations of your life, of your body, of your will, of the, of the decisions you're making, of the direction you're going? What do you expect of yourself? Whatever you expect will determine what you plan and ultimately what you do. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun for me to watch um, young, young men. As they go from being boys to young men, it's, it's such a funny transition because, you know, you go from having to tell them to take a shower and to brush their hair and to brush their teeth to all of a sudden they're, they're coming out and, and they're, you know, they, they smell nice, right? And all of a sudden they're asking you for gum and, and all of a sudden they, they want to pick up the side job and you're thinking, why do they need money? What's going on here? And you just when you think, I am an awesome parent, I, I should write a book about this, you realize there's a little girl that's captured his eye. And now you understand why he's clean and why he brushes his hair and why he wants mints and why he wants gum. There is a new motivator in his life and he's got expectations. He's expecting the day. He's got plans. He's got things he wants to do in light of, of a reality that he wants to be a part of. So let me ask you, what's your plan? What's your reality? What do you expect of yourself? What are you aiming for? In, in our scripture, we, we see what God intends for us. We see God's plan. Understand, God wants us all to be Christians. God's desire is that we live out what it means to be a Christian. Write this down. The calling of Christianity is to please God through Jesus Christ. This is what God wants for us. He, he wants us to, to, be, to be receptors, receivers of this call, so that we might please God in Christ Jesus. 
if you look at the text, Paul is, is making a transition in this letter right now. And so are we. That's why we're beginning the series now after Easter. And we want to think through from the from light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ what this means for us. So he begins in verse 1. It says, finally then. He's making a change. Typically, this would, this would begin, this would be the first thing you would read as the letter was ending. But this letter's not ending. Paul is now saying to this young church, I have some practical matters that I want to speak to you about. And these practical matters have everything to do about what we're planning to do with our one and only life. His language here is interesting. Notice what he says. We ask and urge you. We ask and urge. There's, there's a very strong sense of what, what Paul is saying here is he's not making a suggestion. He's asking, but he's urging. And again, he, he's not thinking that, that we in any way be panicked. A Christian is never to be panicked. If you're panicked, let me tell you what you're doing, is you're taking responsibility and you're, and you're pursuing it without hope. That's where panic comes from. When you're taking responsibility for something, but you don't have hope in it. God does not call us to be panicked. He calls us to be urgent. What is urgency? Urgency exists when we know we're responsible, but we have hope in what we're doing. There is a sense in which I need to get on, get on with this because I know where I'm going with this, and I have hope, and I'm confident in this. And when we are in Christ, we can live with this urgency. Paul says here, I'm asking you, I am urging you. And then he, he, he says something that, that we're, we're often told in preaching class that we're not to say, but Paul says it, so I'm going to say it. He says, you ought to. You ought. He's saying, I am asking you, I am urging you, and then he says, here's what you ought to do. You ought to walk to please God. Why is this a strong term? Why, why this demand? Here's why. Because so much has been given to them. So much has been given to us. I expect the young people who are raised in this church to turn out to be God-fearing, God-honoring adults. Young people, those of you who are being raised, those of you who are young adults who are being raised on the admonishment of the gospel that we preach here, that we worship here, here's my expectation of you. That you get married and you stay married. That you live for the kingdom of God. That you don't suck life off of any kind of government institution, but you be a giver. You be someone who's making a difference. You be someone who is able to stand and produce and provide for others in love. That is the expectation of those who come through living hope. And why such a strong expectation? Why the ought? Because you've been given so much in Christ Jesus. You've been given the truth of the gospel. You've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been reminded over and over by parents and those people who love you very much that God is alive. You can join in what he is, what he is doing. And this is what Paul is saying to this, this, this little young baby church. I ask you and urge you. You ought. And then he, then he brings the kicker at the end there. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. He said, you know what we taught you, and this didn't come from us. The author is Jesus Christ. What we told you, what we are now telling you, this is not just our instruction. This is from God. And so he is saying to them, I, I can't speak any more strongly about this. I'm asking. I'm urging. I'm telling you what you ought to do because it's in, it's in Christ Jesus' words. He is commanding this, and he speaks to what it is we ought to plan to be doing. What pleases God? That's what we see in our text today. We need to plan to please God with our lives. There's three things I want you to take note of and see today. First one is this. Plan to please God through bodily control. 
through bodily control. Understand, this is an aspect of sanctification. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, it's important to realize that Paul is writing this letter from Corinth. He knows that the Thessalonians are dealing with what all Roman cultures are dealing with, but he's in a weird, weird place when he's writing this letter to the Thessalonians. He's in Corinth. At Corinth, that was the place of the worship of Aphrodite. If you don't know your mythology, that, that was the, the, the goddess of beauty and all that other, other terrible stuff. And so there was some raunchy junk going on. Plus, he was at the ESPN Games. This would be like our Olympics. You think about all the people they're talking about going down to South America and all the millions of people. I want you to imagine that's what was happening in Corinth at this time. People had piled into this awful place. And so there was all kinds of deviant behavior going on. It would be like if Paul were today, it would be like him writing us a letter from Las Vegas, okay? Imagine the Apostle Paul is in Vegas, and he's seeing all the, the muck and the junk and, the, and, the, and the, the, just the sadness and, and the sin. And so he's saying, and while I'm thinking about it, stay pure with your body. Maintain purity. This is God's will for you. And I want us to say that so to us, and most of you know this, but there's some that don't seem to believe it, and so it, 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 it needs to be said. Physical intimacy is meant for a man and a woman in a covenant of marriage only. I know the music disagrees. I know the TV disagrees. I know that, that there's all kinds of junk that, that would communicate this. <laughs> I wrote about it this week. Here's the deal. You, you can change the clock, but it doesn't change the time. And people can say, well, this is true and this is right. Doesn't mean it is. Just because the laws have changed, just because people are saying that it's legal, that it's right, that this is what actually a marriage is, doesn't mean that's what marriage is. You can change the clock. Doesn't mean you change the time. The time stays. It is an objective reality, and so is the truth of God's Word. And so we need to understand what God's plan for us and what we need to plan to do is to please God through bodily control, understanding what physical intimacy is meant to be. It's meant to be a celebration between a man and a woman who are in a covenant of marriage. And I want to show you what it looks like. When we do premarital counseling, when we do postmarital counseling, we, we teach this, and I've taught this before, and, and I want to teach it again to you this morning because it's so very important. So put everything out of your out of your hands. You need both hands free. So set your notes aside, set, set your Bible aside for just a moment. I, I want your hands need to be up. So everybody get your hands up, loosen the fingers. I don't want anyone to pull a finger, no muscle spasms in just a moment. All right, good. Five connections that make a godly marriage. Are you with me? You ready? Here we go. Number one, it's a spiritual connection. It's a spiritual connection is where it starts. There are two, just over two billion Christians on this planet right now. If you're going to, to date and marry one, you need to marry a Christian. If you're a Christian, marry a Christian. Why? Because you're going to see the world the same way. Because you're going to have the same biblical values. You're going to have the same biblical purpose in Christ Jesus. And if the relationship begins there, now you're going to be able to create the second connection, which is a mental connection. You'll be able to talk about the world and politics and finances and goals and dreams all from the same perspective. So if you have the spiritual connection, it creates a mental connection, which creates the third, an emotional connection. This is what you share with all your good friends. 
a spiritual connection, a mental connection, and an emotional connection. Because you have the same values, because you have the same beliefs, you have the same things that you like to talk about and the way you see the world. And as you talk about those things, you find yourself caring for one another and being involved in one another's lives. And all three of these connections are what make your friendship a reality. So guys have friends with guys, girls and guys. These are friendships, okay? There's no line by way of gender. But then there's one connection. Everybody hold up your, your one finger. Everybody hold this up. What does this mean? This means one. There's one connection that you make with one other person, and this is a romantic connection. You can have the spiritual, um, uh, mental, and emotional connection with lots of people. But then there comes a point when you have a romantic connection. And you have a romantic connection with how many people? One. What is romance? You might want to write this down. You can put your, you pick stuff up for just a minute, but then get ready to get back to it. Romance. It's making the other person feel as valuable as God already says they are. Making the other person feel as valuable as God already says they are. You can't make a person any more valuable than they already are. You are worth the blood of Jesus Christ. You are worth the eternal love of God. You don't always feel that way. I don't always feel that way. And that's why God gives us a godly spouse. That's why for men, godly men, God gives us a godly woman. That's why godly women, God gives us a godly man who can make us feel as valuable as God already says we are. See how it develops? It begins with a spiritual... All right, get your hands back up. It begins with a spiritual connection that turns into a mental connection that goes into an emotional connection. And then there comes this point where a fella says, I don't want nobody else talking to you the way I talk to you. I, the girl says, I don't want some girl holding your hand. That's my job. I don't want anybody. I want you to know how valuable you are, but I only want me to be able to show that to you. One person. So let me tell you this. If you're married, don't you dare let another person make you feel as valuable as God says you are. That's romance and that's wrong. There's one person. That doesn't mean you don't connect mentally, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. It doesn't mean you don't have friends. What it means is you protect your heart. Your heart belongs to one other person, the person you're married to. And this connection, this creates the environment in a covenant of marriage where the physical connection happens naturally. Go like this. This is what biblical marriage looks like. Spiritual, mental, emotional, romantic, physical connection. This is what God intends for marriage. Does this make sense? All right, let me tell you something. Those of you who are not married, if you get involved in a physical connection, you short-circuit the spiritual connection. Because you are not honoring God with your body, you can't be trusted. If you're, gonna, if you're going to have physical intimacy with someone who's not your spouse, outside of marriage, you will make that same mistake inside of marriage because you have to understand you have an ethic that's driving your decision. So where when is physical intimacy allowed? Is it when you love someone? Well, 
when you get married, if that's your ethic right now, then you're not going to be able to trust one another because if that's your ethic, then one day you might be at work and you're going to be able, you might say, hey, I, I think I love this person. And under our ethic, it's okay for me to have physical intimacy because after all, when we were dating, that's what we did, right? Your ethic stands. It's crucial that we control our bodies, the unmarried and the married, that we honor the covenant of marriage, that we prepare for it properly by creating spiritual, mental, emotional connections, that we then, there's an engagement where there's a romantic connection that leads to a marriage where there is a, a physical, intimate connection that creates this marriage. God does not bless them. God does not bless them. So he says in Exodus 20:14, put that one up there for me, guys. This is part of the big, the big ten. This is part of the big ten commandments. You shall not commit adultery, whether you're married or whether you're single. God doesn't bless sin. And so there are times when people will come to Living Hope and say, would you do our marriage? And we will always have a conversation. And we will gladly sit down and talk with anyone about the possibility of blessing their marriage. But here's, here's what we will say. If you're living with this person you want to marry, I want you, you can just go ahead and know this is what you're going to hear. We love you. We will help you. But God doesn't bless sin, and we can't pretend to either. Understand there is a picture that God has presented in His Word. And I know that there are some who say, wait, 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 we're not physically intimate, we're just living together. You still harmed the picture. Think about what God's Word says over and over. I'm going to read three scriptures to you. The first one is Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Then there's the scripture in Mark. This is the words of Jesus. But from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Again, Ephesians 5. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. It, it pictures the gospel. So what is marriage? What's the picture? A man leaves his father and mother, and a, and a woman leaves her father and mother, and the two become one, and they begin a new family. This is what marriage is. Until you are married, you do not come together as one. That is after marriage. That is after marriage. And you need to understand, if you're living together with someone, you are putting yourself in very serious harm's way, because here's what you're doing. You're assuming that this connection is what it is, but those of you you're in this situation. You get in a car accident. Who's your next of kin? Who's going to make decisions for your health? Not the person you're living with. It's your family. You're living a lie. When it comes down to it, when, when, when life hits you, reality comes pouring out. And, and if you're in a situation where you're living with someone, you're not living in reality. You're living in a lie. You're not married. You need to, you need to separate. You need to, you need to be under what is the reality. You need to be under your parents' authority. Under the, I don't care how old you are. You need to be separate. And then once you've decided these connections are real and you're ready to make that final connection, get married. Have God bless what, what he has brought together and celebrate it and live it the rest of your life. Amen? This is 
This is God's will. This is God's blessing. It requires bodily control. And this is the will of God. This is for our sanctification. This is for our blessing. Now, here's what I know. Some of you have gotten out of God's will. But there's still hope, friends. You can pursue and recover God's design. What is God's design? A man leaves his father and mother, connects, and those five connections, and they become one. You say, well, I've already done that. I've blown it. I've messed it up. What do I do? You ever heard of these three circles? God's design is this. Some of you, this is what you're doing. Physical connection. You've just connected the other one. Sin, creating brokenness. It's creating all kinds of problems within your life, within your relationship. So what do you need to do? You need to repent. You need to stop. You need to believe and trust Jesus Christ. Pursue His gospel and recover and pursue His design. This leads to God's blessing. This is true in salvation. This is true for your salvation. You want to you want to be saved. You want God's blessing. You've got to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, and you've got to pursue and recover God's design. It requires bodily control, and this is God's will. This is God's will. Second thing, quickly, plan to please God through brotherly love. Without the love of Jesus, our love will always be limited. We are limited creatures. We, we have a limited capacity. There is no limit to the love of God. I don't know if you've ever run out of gas before. I've never had, but I almost did this week. I have friends that run out of gas, and I mess with them all the time about it. But I almost said, we were going to Nashville to watch a ball game, and as we were leaving, my sweet wife told me, you need to be sure and get some gas. You got it. All right, we sure will. Come on, boys, let's go to the game. So we're going down to Nashville, and I realized, we're about to run out of gas, and we're in traffic. But God was gracious to me. <laughs> and we were able to get fueled up, and we were able to make it just fine. But here's what's happening in a lot of people's lives today, is that is, is you're living off of the fuel of your love. And your love is always just near empty. See, we're finite creatures. And our emotions, we don't have the capacity to love with the, like the power of God. God's love never fails. God's love endures forever. God's love is eternal. And so when we experience God's love, we can share God's love. And so what was happening here is that, is that the church was beginning to live it out. What Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. How can you do that? Only if Christ is in you. Only if you are in Christ can you love as God has loved you. You also are to share love to one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he's saying to them, keep on loving one another all the more. You are blessing all, not just your city, but all of Macedonia, because the word is traveling about the reality of your love. The love of God is eternally powerful. And when we love the way God has loved us in Christ Jesus, it changes. I'm going to tell you something. God's love has the power to change a life. God's love has the power to change a marriage, a family, a friendship. God's love has an eternal, infinite power. And when we share and show that love, it brings a blessing that we can't imagine. 
Listen, I know that there are people that are broken today, and we know that. That's why we, we started the, the, the Hope Center for Biblical Counseling. If today you're in a broken relationship, if today you feel broken because of your past decisions you've made, listen, call this week. Go and see our counselors at the Hope uh, uh, Center for Biblical Counseling because the gospel will set you free. But I want to also tell you, those of you who are walking in Christ, the people who are going to the counseling, those who are needing this information, this truth that can enable them, they also need love. It's not enough just to know truth. Jesus Christ came, came with grace and truth. That grace is motivated by love. And we need to love one another, and we need to love our city, and we need to love hurting people. Not point our fingers, not jab them. We need to love them the same way Christ loved us. And with that brotherly love, God can change the world. Last. This is, I, wish, I, I wish I had a day for this one. This, was, this is so right. Plan to please God through bold independence. Through bold independence. Now, let me explain this. I'm going to read it. Let me explain this. Look in verse 11 with me. And to inspire and aspire to live quiet, to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now, this is not a call to live an isolated, self-sufficient life. Don't let your westernized North American mindset kick in. Of I always knew I didn't need to depend on anybody. I just need to to do my own thing. I need to be my own independent uh, person. That's not what that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here is this is a call to give up living the way the culture around us lives, and not to live dependent upon the way the culture is living. See, our our culture today uh, they. they the culture today wants us to live with a constant nagging sense that we're not enough. The culture today, every advertisement, every song you hear, everything is constantly telling us, you need to look like this, you need to have this, you need to, you need to be connected in these ways, and then you'll be somebody, then your life will matter. It's a lie. Christ is enough. Did we not just sing that? Christ is enough. And here's what we need to understand. If our identity, if who we are, is defined not by what we do or what we have, but defined by the love of, of an eternal God who died for us, who loves us, and who is guiding our life according to His will, then we will be confident and we will have peace. You know what, what, what that creates in us when we know that we are loved by God through Christ? and we have accepted His authority and His love into our lives, you know what that creates? Grateful confidence. You know what the last thing um, advertisers want you to be? Gratefully confident. Because if you're gratefully confident, they're not going to be able to talk you into buying some junk. They're not going to be able to sway you into to being something that you're not. See, if you and I, if we know who we are in Christ, we're grateful. We're grateful for what we have. There's contentment. And in that contentment, there's a confidence. And that confidence says, I don't have to have what you have. I don't have to look the way you look. I don't have to have all these connections. I don't have to be anything other than what Jesus Christ has made me. I am an adopted, blood-bought child of the King of Heaven, and He has a plan for my life, and He loves me forever. That's enough. And when that defines your life, I'm going to tell you something you got that you can't buy. Peace. Peace. 
And what God's Word is telling us is that God wants us to live with a bold independence, independent of what the rest of the world tells us. Bold in our faith. Bold in our belief in Jesus Christ. See, God, what we got to understand, we are tools of worship. For those of us who believe, we are the dwelling place of God. We've been bought with a price. And God tells us that we ought to, that we are responsible to have bodily control, that we are responsible to give brotherly love, that we are responsible to live boldly independent in Christ. And when we do, there's peace. But here's what I know about many of you in this room right now. You don't have peace. You're panicked. You're afraid. You're living in sin and you don't know what to do about it. Here's what you need to do. Give your life to Jesus. He will not fail you. Come to Him today and say, God, I repent of my own authority. I'm giving my life to you. Forgive me. I'm going to pursue and recover your good design. I'm going to do what you've commanded me to do. Some of you today, you're, you're struggling. You're struggling with what you're going through. You're struggling with how you feel about yourself. You're struggling. Stop. Stop trying to figure this out on your own. Trust the Lord. Give Him complete rights to your heart. And be content in the fact that you are loved eternally, forgiven, that your next, the next thing that's coming, what's next, is heaven, and that God is going to guide you every step of the way so you can have confident hope. I promise you, you will have peace. Please don't leave this place today without peace. You need Jesus. You need Him. Not a lot. You need. We need Jesus. So please, today, right now, ask Him. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to take leadership of your life. Tell Him, I'm sorry. I've been trying to be defined by my job or my looks or my children or my stuff. I'm going to be defined by who you are. I want you to define me. You say that I'm worth your blood. That you love me, and that is enough. I need that. So would you say, would you tell him that? Would you come and would you give your life to Christ? Let's stand together with Christ. Father, we've covered a lot of ground today, but one thing that is for certain, I know that we have all seen, is we, we have seen that we are completely incapable of saving ourselves, that we need you, Lord Jesus. And I know that today there are some individuals who need you, Lord Jesus, to save them. I also know, Lord God, that there's some couples in here today who need you, Lord Jesus, to save their relationship. Some are even thinking about getting married and they've gotten things out of line. They need you to save this relationship. Others that are married, they need you to save their marriage. Some that are in family, some that are in friendships, they need you to save. Lord God, would you right now hear the prayers of those who will come to you and get on their knees and ask you to do a miracle of renewal in their life and in their key relationships that they might live boldly independent in the grace you give. Lord, do this now as we sing of our need in Jesus' name. Come and pray as we sing of our need in Jesus' name.